Welcome to Charlotte Mason Motherhood, the podcast that helps the everyday mother learn the practical application of the Charlotte Mason method. Today we are discussing the first of what Charlotte Mason calls the three instruments of education. We spent the last few episodes covering principles one through four. We learned a lot about what a Charlotte Mason education is not. But in principle number four, she explains to us that we shouldn't encroach upon the child's personhood and that we can't use bribery to teach them to do what they ought and that the use of fear or love aren't feasible for motivating a student or teaching good habits. Now we get to talk about the things we can do, the tools we do have as mothers and teachers. These are from her principle number five, where she states that we are limited to three educational instruments, the atmosphere of environment, the discipline of habit, and the presentation of living ideas. You may be familiar with the often quoted phrase, education is an atmosphere, a discipline, a life. This is the PNEU motto. And if you're unfamiliar with what the PNEU is, I have a video for Charlotte Mason beginners on my YouTube channel that I'll link to in the show notes. In it, I explain all of the Charlotte Mason acronyms you may hear but won't understand as a beginner. But today, for this podcast, we are just going to cover the first instrument of education, which is principle number six, education is an atmosphere. I briefly explained principles four and five, but the main topic of our podcast is based on principle number six, which is when we say that education is an atmosphere, we do not mean that a child should be isolated in what we may be called a child environment, especially adapted and prepared, but that we should take into account that the educational value of his natural home atmosphere, both as regards person and things, and should let him live freely among his proper conditions. It stultifies a child to bring down his world to the child's level. There are a few phrases here that caught my attention in her lengthy description. The first is that the child doesn't need a specific child environment. She also says that we need to take into account a child's natural atmosphere of the home. We'll talk about these in a few minutes, but the phrase that stood out to me the most was persons and things. The persons that she's referring to is us, the parents, and the things she's referring to are the things in which we keep in our homes. So now that we've reviewed the philosophy here, let's discuss some practical ways that we can apply this principle in our homes. So tip number one, we as parents need to focus on atmosphere over environment. Mason begins her section on atmosphere in her book, A Philosophy of Education, by painting a vivid picture of a little boy's extensive nursery environment. His name is Peter, and he has the best of the best toys and decor, warmly painted walls, lush carpets, and there are even smoothly rounded corners on the tables for when he starts walking. It reminds me so much of what my home looked like with our first child child-proofing the cabinets with plastic locks and Velcro straps, the foamy corner protectors that the adhesive would not stay on. But Mason encourages us to look past the child's environment, that is, his surroundings and how they look. We could apply this to our homeschool rooms, too. 
Some of us desire the most beautifully decorated homeschool space, and that's great, but what she's really getting at here is that it isn't about environment at all, but instead the atmosphere in which we are creating in our homes. She says in her book, It is not an environment that they want, a set of artificial relations carefully constructed, but an atmosphere which nobody has been at pains to constitute. I love how Mason describes the child's natural atmosphere of home. She says, We all know the natural conditions under which a child should live, how he shares household ways with his mother, romps with his father, is teased by his brothers and petted by his sisters, is taught by his tumbles, learns self-denial by the baby's needs, the delightfulness of furniture by playing at battle and siege with sofa and table, learns veneration for the old by visits of his grandmother, how to live with his equals by the chums he gathers round him, learns intimacy with animals from his dog and cat, Delight in the fields where the buttercups grow, and greater delight in the blackberry hedges. She states that no compounded environment, also known as our carefully designed nursery, playroom, or homeschool room, could make up for this fresh air, this wholesome wind, as she says, of the child's natural home atmosphere. Mason acknowledges that the child's environment doesn't need to be carefully constructed or kid-only accommodations, and rather than creating a sheltered environment, that we allow them to grow up with natural exposure to life as it is. She says that children must face life as it is in a sense. She does mean that they need to see the good, the bad, and the ugly, and that we can't protect our children from everything, but on the same token, we can be aware of what we share with and in front of our children. She's careful to mention that the strong must not lay their burdens on the weak. So while we do want our children to experience hiccups in life, we want to make sure that they are child-appropriate hiccups. This means we probably won't talk about politics in front of our kids, but if something happens, like a family pet's death, they might notice and we will have to appropriately have a discussion about it. So we know that Mason expects us to focus on atmosphere and the natural life that's going on around them rather than the environment. This next tip starts with the parents, usually the mother since she's the main caretaker of the children. We must remember that atmosphere isn't just the things we keep, the toys or books we buy or the home in which we live, but it's the very essence of the person's that surround our children, ourselves, us mothers. The influence we have is greater than any other in a child's atmosphere. So some questions we can ask ourselves when considering atmosphere are, number one, do we speak life-giving words to our families? Do we treat our husband with love and respect? Do we serve others with a joyful heart? Are we growing our minds by reading new books? Do we serve and eat nourishing foods in our home to nourish the mind? It's the do as I say, not as I do conundrum. If we expect our children to show up for lessons cheerfully, we need to do the same. It's that enthusiasm factor that I'm constantly harping on. The atmosphere of mom really does dictate the atmosphere of our home. 
One of my favorite resources on this subject are the books The Life-Giving Home and The Life-Giving Table by Sally Clarkson. She's such an inspirational woman and really has lived out Charlotte Mason's principles, I think without even realizing it. I'll leave links to those books in the show notes, but she does a great job of suggesting concrete ways that we as mothers can affect the atmosphere of our home. Before I move on to my last tip, I want to insert a quick caveat. Some of you may be listening to this and thinking, okay, but I'm going through a lot right now. I'm suffering the grief of a miscarriage, or I just had a baby, or I'm suffering the grief from the death of a parent. And I want to make sure you understand that no mother is perfect at this, and we all have good and bad days. But thank goodness that we can lean on Christ for perfection and ask Him for forgiveness. But just as we are an example of what's right, we can also be an example of what to do when we are wrong. Do we apologize when we've hurt someone? Do we ask the Lord for forgiveness and cling to Him when we need help, when we're grieving? Do we pray when we're in need? Do we as mothers pray to give thanks? Our children notice our disposition. Absolutely, but they're also watching when when we approach hardships. Through grief or sadness, we can still be a living example of what we expect from our children during hard times. We are growing ourselves as much as we are growing our children. In doing so, we affect their experience and environment. I'm reminded of the verse in 2 Timothy. It says, Set an example in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. The hearers part is so powerful. Our children are our little hearers. So um, I'm going to leave this verse in the show notes for you guys because it's one that I've really been clinging to lately. Um, So tip number three is that simplicity is key. She talks about persons and things. So we're going to talk about the things aspect. Keep your home free of unnecessary clutter. I don't know about you, but my kitchen or my bedroom sometimes reflects how my mind is doing. Children are the same way. They thrive in homes that reflect order, neatness, and beauty. Decluttering is trendy right now, so it shouldn't be difficult to do in the age of minimalism and Marie Kondo. Start by going through one room a week and donate anything you don't use or need. Aside from purging all the things that we don't need, however, we also need to be on guard about what we let into our homes. It may be helpful to ask yourself these questions when considering a purchase. Does this item serve a purpose? Is it a true need? Will it provide truth, beauty, or goodness for our family? Mason explains in book one of Ourselves, It is worthwhile to remember that space is the most precious and also the most pleasing thing in a house or room and that even a small room becomes spacious if it is not not crowded with useless objects. We need to allow time and space for our children above all, and this will allow their imagination and creativity to flourish. So with that, I hope that today's episode has offered you a greater understanding of the fourth, fifth, and sixth principle. Today we discussed the first instrument of education. Education is an atmosphere. Next time, we'll talk about the discipline of habit. 
So join us next time to learn more about Charlotte Mason's educational ideas. One of the hallmarks of a Charlotte Mason education is narration, the act of knowing and telling back. At the end of each episode, I ask that you either write down or tell a friend, your mom, your husband, whomever, about what you learned from today's podcast. You can also share on Instagram and tag me so I can read your narration. It is my hope and prayer that whatever you gathered from today's episode blesses you and your family. Until next time, thank you so much for listening. Thank you.